from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe, from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron, for three for the win, yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, it's finally happened. It's uh, It's been a long-awaited debut of the Big Three on the Duncan Dynasty podcast, but uh, I've got two very dear friends and special guests, basketball junkies. First, uh, Corbin Ford. How you doing, my man? You know, I'm doing good, Garrett. Happy to have all three of us together. You know, I feel like this is the 2017 Minnesota Timberwolves, Andrew Wood against Conley Towns and Zach Levine. The Big Three, let's get it. Okay, uh, I think I'm just going to hit stop on this and uh, we'll start over. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll now introduce our other guest. Uh, he's making his second appearance on the Duncan Dynasty podcast, Josh Earl. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing good, man. Had a nice day taking uh, my daughter to like a story time at a local library, which was delightful. So feeling good. Nice. And of course, Corbin works at a library. So uh, I, I guess I'm Big the fan. only one that had no library news uh, to note today. But reading is fundamental, just like Timmy. There you go. There you go. I'm but uh, the, the reason we're we're all together here is that uh, the uh, the NBA had a big blockbuster trade in the offing. James Harden was traded from the Philadelphia 76ers to the Los Angeles Clippers, some of the uh, the basic details. It's it's complicated. It's a three-teamer. There's a lot of pieces involved. The uh, the Sixers sent James Harden, P.J. Tucker, and Philip Petrosev to the Clippers and got Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Nick Batum, K.J. Martin, a 2028 unprotected first-round pick from the Clippers, two second-round picks, a 2029 pick swap, which I believe is protected one through three. And then they also got a, I believe it's a 2026 first round pick from the Oklahoma City Thunder, which is the worst of, uh, it's the least favorable pick out of three teams, which will probably be the Thunder at that stage. Um, and then also the Clippers are sending a 2027 first round pick swap to Oklahoma City to uh, allow the Thunder or to to uh, incentivize the Thunder to have sent that 2026 pick to Philadelphia. So I guess, uh, guys, uh, let's let's start with Corbin. Then we'll get Josh's thoughts. Uh, you know, what was your immediate reaction to this? It's obviously been kind of in the rumor mill that this was bound to happen at some point, And it, it's finally here. Yeah, I was just happy it finally happens. You know, like I think one thing I was happy about randomly was that it happened sooner than later. You know, not only for the 76ers to take, which that's going to meander and been a problem, but like, you know, you look at how well 
Tyrese Maxey's playing and how Nick Nurse has diversified the 76 offense, less pick and roll, more dribble handoffs, more, you know, involving the team or team basketball, which like, you know, it's not bad to see. I'm not going to lie. And so, you know, you get a trade where it looks for the 76ers, they prioritize financial flexibility in depth, right? Veteran depth. There's no superstars here, but let's be real. Harden, that kind of tanks his value and Moray also like let it linger for so long at this point that that wasn't going to be a thing. But I, I just, I like it for both parties, I think. I think there's more questions for, this, for the Clippers and the 76ers. Um, 76ers on their, on their end makes sense to me. We'll see if Marcus Morris has anything left. He always seems to be rejuvenated when he goes to new cities for new teams. He did it when he went to the Knicks, then went to the Clippers, and we'll see what he does with the 76ers. Um, Nick Batum, if he has 15 to 20 minutes as a connector, I kind of feel bad for him. He wanted to retire as a Clipper. Like, you know, that's the business. It's cold. It kind of sucks. That's the one part where, eh, you know, sour feeling. But, like, as a player, good connecting piece, a guy who can, you know, make passes, shoot the three ball, that works out well. Robert Covington going back to where he made his name, as he said, which is very true. Um, and I think that he could be a really good PJ Tucker defensive equivalent um, where PJ Tucker is probably better man to man at this stage of their career. Robert Covington is better help defender. Um, and he also is unlike Tucker, um, actually someone who will contribute on the offensive end at this stage of his career. So I like it for the 76ers. I think it just can, kind of reinforces that this is uh, Tyrese Maxey, Joel Embiid unit core group. They build out from there and they get contributions from so many other guys. In addition to, you know, Kelly Uber has been playing well. Tobias Harris has been solid. You know, got, um, guys off the bench that have been helpful. DeAnthony Melton. I, I think it's a good trade for them. Um, for the Clippers, listen, they got who they wanted. In my mind, it's my issue. It's like, well, the Clippers got a point guard. I mean, Russ wasn't playing bad and Russ does play the point guard position. And now in my mind, there's questions because what is your starting five? Like, it, in my estimation, is going to be Westbrook, Harden, um, Kawhi, Paul George, and Zubak or Zubac. Now, should it be Westbrook? Probably not. But because of the politics situation, the fact that he was playing well beforehand, I think that they're going to at least give it a shot until it's shown that it doesn't work. Which I love Westbrook, but it probably won't work. And then it'll be okay. Let's take Westbrook off the bench, or maybe make it his idea to come off the bench. But the Clippers more of a question there, just with how that fits. Um, James Harden is more and more on ball. Like he has, for someone who has such great catch and shoot numbers, he takes like less than two a game. And for the last like five, six years, he's done that. Um, he just, for whatever reason, he'll get a kick out. We saw the 76ers last season. He'll get a kick out and then just want to play with the ball a bit. So I wonder how that fits, but that's my initial spiel on all of that. Corbin said it well. Uh, I think it's interesting for a couple of reasons, I'll, I'll start with the Clippers. For the Clippers, I think it's a way for them to kind of add a buffer for when Paul George or Kawhi are going to miss games. And we all know they are at this point. So having still like Harden and Russ on those game days when Kawhi and or Paul George can't go, it elevates the floor of the team in those situations. So it's kind of like a one way, uh, one way to bandage over the main problem they've had, which has been health for their core guys. Now they, they have four core guys who can kind of step into those roles when healthy. The tricky part is going to be when they're all healthy. Um, I, I looked into it and over the last five seasons played for all four of these guys, Russ had a 30% usage rate, Harden a 34.3% usage rate, 
Paul George, a 30.1% usage rate, and Kawhi, a 29.8% usage rate. When all four are healthy, how are they going to mesh? Russ doesn't do a lot off ball. Harden doesn't do a lot off ball. Paul George and Kawhi can do stuff off ball, but those are probably the guys I kind of would prefer to be on ball. Um, So it's going to be an interesting situation in that regard. Um, But I I think it's a solid attempt at like one last big swing. Um, And while the draft stuff is not looking good for the Clippers going forward, the nice thing is if this blows up in everybody's face, all four of those guys are going to be free agents next offseason. So they can at least have a financial reset. And then they can kind of do what they want from there and maybe try to flip, you know, the guys they still have under contract like Mann and Powell for some draft equity and just kind of build back up however they want. Um, so I don't think it's a major swing and miss unless they try to extend all four of those guys this off season, given their health injury, uh, injury hit, uh, histories. Uh, um, I, I, and the fact it would cost so much, I, I don't think that'll happen, but I, I think it's a valid attempt for this season. Um, and the, the Sixers, it, it does what Maury's been wanting to do, which is maintain, like the most cap space of any contender uh, for next off season, all the people they acquired are on expiring deals. So it doesn't impact their cap space. Uh, Maxi is probably going to be an all-star if he continues playing this way. So they're good in that regard. And with the added draft capital, plus the fact that some of these expiring contracts you know, if the players play well with the Sixers, they can probably flip after January 1st when they can be aggregated again um, to make a swing at the trade deadline for a disgruntled wing like a Zach Levine, a DeMar DeRozan, um, or, or maybe a Donovan Mitchell or whomever might be potentially available. Although I don't think Chicago has given any indication that they want to break things up, <laughs> even if they should. Um, and then I just want to say, OKC doing smart stuff again, that <laughs> they managed to get, um, you know, that 2027 first round pick swap with the Clippers for sending away what's likely going to be at best, like, um, like late teens, early 20s pick in 2026 like it was and they'll still have two picks in 2026 so like okc finagled their way in pretty well and uh altogether i like the deal for everybody although i think there are ways this might not work out well for the clippers yeah i um yeah there's a lot there to respond to and i want to get into all the players side of this but i just from a from an asset standpoint i also think it's interesting i'm glad josh you mentioned the okc side of this um i'm curious what your stances or what both of your stances are on the idea of like okay daryl morey wanted he was very fixated on getting multiple first round picks and again yeah with the idea of potentially trading those down the road to bring in someone else but OKC really valued that swap that they got from the Clippers over that first round pick. 
Whereas like, you know, Philadelphia could have just gotten that swap if they wanted it. Um, Mm -hmm. But but yeah, when you're, when, if you're Daryl Morey and you're trying to make a trade with a future, with a, a future team, you know, you need that concrete first round pick as opposed to like, oh, this is a swap that may or may not actually even help you. Exactly. Oh, sorry. No, continue, Justin. Sorry. No, I was going to say Garrett's spot on. Like when you're making deals, especially quote unquote blockbuster deals, you want a pick free and clear, not a pick uh swap like a pick swaps the cherry on top uh and it's one of the things i think people misunderstand the most when we hear all these trades and they're like oh hey i mean they got like several pick swaps that's they got you know they got three pick swaps that's three extra picks no (laughs) it's not extra picks (laughs) you just get to potentially make your pick higher um like the the team that made that offered the pick swaps guess what they still have picks those years they're just gonna probably be lower (laughs) so um i i I think the swap makes more sense in okc's context where they already have at least three picks in 2026 so like if we get rid of one whoop-de-doo we still have two and we can potentially elevate our 2027 pick so i thought that was Excellent asset management, um, and it also made sense for the Sixers to try to get a free and clear pick for trade packages. Yeah, I agree. I think the way that they prioritize draft picks, and listen, this was, again, I think they got the best possible package for the situation that they were in, right? Like, they didn't have a lot of leverage, you know, in this, but the Clippers wanted to make a move, and I think that the way that the 76ers went for this the way down more went for this like you said is you know put taking prioritizing picks also like putting them out where for the dates of some of these like let's be real this current core of the clippers might not even be on the clippers they might not be in the nba period i mean if you look at it, you know westbrook's 35 um harden's 34 paul george 33 and Kawhi 32 with bad knees like just the reality of the situation you know at 36 37 38 39 nah like Let's be real. Love love Westbrook. He's faded a little bit, you know. Still elite athleticism, but other ways. Harden's definitely faded some. George and 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 Kawhi are still good, but at the same time, again, that's another five, four to five years of play. I, I just I don't see it. There, I don't see that happening with those guys. So, like, way to get some semblance of an advantage in that regard, while also still making a case for Joel Embiid, which I think is a more important thing of saying, hey, this has worked so far. We don't have a superstar, but we have guys who can either A, help right now and see where we are at the trade deadline, or and then B, either, you know, ride that out through the playoffs and just see what happens, make a trade at the deadline for a star, you know, whether it is a Zach Levine or OG Anobi. I'm not exactly happy with either of those as a fit, but, you know, a player of that ilk or go with their master plan, which is, hey, all these guys can help right now and they'll be off the books at the end of the year, in which case we'll have all this cap space be one of the few contending teams, if not the only contending team with cap space. Resign Maxi, and then we pick a star to add to you. So I think they kind of thread the needle in a way that should work. I mean, I I, I you you went for, I think it's an upgrade because you went from a guy who wasn't playing at all in James Harden to now three rotation level players who hopefully can, you know, kind of contribute in some capacity. Yeah, I think it's uh it's really interesting in terms of yeah the the assets, the, the players that the Sixers got back in this deal. Yeah, as you guys said, Batum, 
Covington, um, you know, Martin, like these guys, uh, these guys can play and they can be a part of the rotation. The one thing I will say, though, is, you know, you're losing a on offense like your point guard in James Harden and you're filling it with guys that I feel like you this team already has Tobias Harris at the four. Right. And uh, they did offload P.J. Tucker. So that at least get, uh, opened up a spot in the front court area, too. But it feels like that's kind of a jammed up front court, especially at the three and four spots now. And that's where, you know, again, with potential future moves, you could see Daryl Morey trying to maybe add another guard to just give some not only security to Tyrese Maxey, but also just uh, ease some of that uh, ball handling burden. I get you. I think on the one hand, it is a lot of, it is more crowded, but I also think it's more depth. I mean, you know, I think you, you're right. Like Ubre is probably the three. I think at this point, Covington's really a four. Um, Tobias Harris, in my mind, was always more of a four, right? Um, he can kind of play the three a little bit. You're right. You would want to have some extra guard depth behind Maxi. I definitely think that's a thing. Although the, the Anthony Melton's been solid there. Um, that'll be something I would look for. But I mean, you weren't getting Bones Highland, you know, from the Clippers. You obviously weren't getting Terrence Mann from the Clippers, like, like, you know, you're going to get it somewhere else for that. And I think that in the way of, of depth here, like, yes, like all these guys that got to be fair, like, yes, it could potentially be crowded, but at the same time, I think they did the perfect thread of like, these guys can play, but it's not like they were coming in with expectation of starting. Like Covington is just now starting this season after being like on the pine for most of last year for reasons unexplained. Morse has been out of the rotation all season and going back into last season. And Batum's a 15, 20 minute player in general. So, like, these guys can play more. They can assume more usage, and, and and that could be something that you can kind of go with if they're contributing well. And if they're not, okay. Like, they go back to where they were before. Like, I, I think you're kind of playing with house money on that, you know? But guys who can at least space the floor from three, um, if you're Morris, attack a closeout a little bit. Maybe you give you a little extra something there. And then just capably defend your position. And it also leads for some intriguing small ball lineups when a beat is off the floor. Because you could put Covington a small ball five. Or even K.J. Martin, who I'm very high on as a small ball five with Maxi and Melton and some of your younger guys and do some intriguing laps that way. And you know, nurse will try that. So like, I get you on the one hand, it could be looked at as crowded, but on the other hand, I look at like increased depth and even some more versatility there. I say. Yeah, it's uh, those are, those are all good points. It's um, it's definitely, uh, you know, it, it makes the, the Sixers better than they were. Like at least when Harden just straight up wasn't playing for them, they're a better team now than they were, you know, the first few games of the season and they've looked decent so far. So um, I think this team is going to, uh, you know, be there in contention to make the second round of the playoffs and, and still be a decent basketball team. And then, yeah, you look at all this cap space they have for next, for next summer. And unlike Houston, who was able to, to be, um, you know, a contender for a lot of the key free agents this past summer, despite being a terrible basketball team last year, this is going to be a really a pretty good basketball team with cap space. So uh, I'm I'm excited to see what what Daryl Morey can do with this, and also if all the drama with James Harden and Harden saying that Morey was a liar, if that affects players and their desire to to come to to Philly, but. Uh, yeah, we got to get into this, though, because we've got Corbin Ford here. We've got the biggest Russell Westbrook fan in the world. And I'm very curious to hear your thoughts as to how this impacts him specifically on this team. Because when he came, you know, last year as a buyout guy, 
He fit in a lot better than I expected, and I think a lot better than most people expected. He committed defensively. I think that was one of the bigger surprises. He really played well on the defensive end. And then this Clippers team also, you know, despite the fact that they have Kawhi and they have Paul George, they did still need some of his creation. But now, you know, with with the likes of uh, James Harden on this team, with Kawhi, with PG, you know, even um, Bones Highland off the bench, it seems like this team has too many creators and they don't necessarily need Russ's, uh, Russ's on-ball creation as much as they did last season well let me be the first to say i never wavered in my commitment to westbrook and the impact you bring to the clippers i just want to say it from the jump like yeah the lakers weren't a great fit understood yeah a lot of a lot of people to blame for that one um mostly frank vogel but like a lot of people to blame for that one but um what i will say is as soon as we went to the clippers i knew the impact he would have and i'm happy to say that I called it, you know, what do you bring from a leadership perspective, a shot make, he's a hall of fame point guard. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't have that on your team and, and somehow end up worse. I think it was just the easy thing to do to battle on Westbrook. Um, I felt like I was fighting the grand fight alone, aside from the crazy Westbrook fans on Facebook, which I'm not one. I'm a nuanced Westbrook fan just for the record. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm just happy to see him in a place who's appreciated. Um, and, you know, yeah, I guess it was Polinka's fault, too, not really building around him well. And LeBron and AD, they're just not GMs at the end of the day. You know, that's their one crime. What great player is, you know? But maybe Russ could be, but that's probably it. But anyways, going back to Westbrook, um, I think that in this scenario, you – and maybe this comes off a little homerish. I don't know. You stick with Westbrook. He's been playing well. Like, Harden, I think, could be an even – better benefit for the Clippers as somebody who can play off ball as somebody who got the respect of the shooter as somebody who can in a pinch go into ISO or flow into a pick and roll with Kawhi or you know get into some action with Paul George with maybe Westbrook in the dunker spot I think having letting Westbrook you know handle the ball as he has will work it's been effective it's not like the Clippers made this trade um like they did back in 2021 where they felt they need a point guard and they traded for Raj Armando like this one was like, oh, we can do it. We don't have to give up too much. We're going against a team that has zero leverage. You're not getting Terrence Mann. You're not getting Bones Highland. You know, um, we'll give you guys that aren't in our rotation and are going to be off the books next year. Deal with it. And it worked out. If you have the chance to do that for James Harden, even with all the things James Harden brings to the table, you do that, right? But I don't think that should, like, fundamentally change the entire way that the Clippers run their offense, which right now is really just a lot of ISO action and and, and you know, clear outs and switches, all that sort of thing. Okay, Harden will fit right into that. But I don't think that should go away from Westbrook being the main guard. And Bones Highland, I think, is settling in as a perfect six-man, um, as a guy who can bring some shooting. I think the size-wise, you know, the defense-wise, there's some issues there. But he can be in line so he can be protected. That's great. If he's coming off the second unit with Terrence Mann, I think that's even better. Um, and he's also a guy to put up the starters. And add to that right now, he's kind of playing on a bad angle. So the fact they have added guard depth probably helps him out. Because he's playing right now because he kind of has to. Um, whereas if you have guys ahead of him, you can rest him a little bit more and get him back healthy. And then you have the speed and burst that Bones brings already. In addition to Westbrook, one of the few people on the Clippers, by the way, that will go with that end-to-end speed. I mean, Terrence Mann can run, um, and Paul George and Kawhi went inspired, and, and, and maybe Harden as well, potentially. But, like, I, I think that it works out well. But, no, stay with Russ, and Russ we trust. I mean, that's what the Clippers should be saying, not me. Kind of surprised you don't have a in Russ we trust tattoo already. Uh, <laughs> Listen, it's about to be right there. It's right okay, there. Right yeah, there. <laughs> no, it's gonna. You already got it locked up. I'll help you look for it's tattoo artists, Colorado yes, bud. We'll, we'll After get it set up for Earl you. Cinemas, let's do it. There you go. Uh, 
But uh, I think what's interesting is Russ, Harden, TG, and Kawhi have all been to at least the conference finals. They've been on successful teams. Like, the question is, at this stage in their careers, especially after all four of them have been the guy or basically guy 1B for most of their career in the last several years, uh, how much are all of them willing to downshift a little bit? Like, how much of them are willing to be like, instead of just a, okay, first we go Kawhi, next trip down the court, it's going to be Paul, then it's James, then it's Russ, and then we rotate again back to Kawhi. Instead of that, like, how are they going to commit to being good teammates to each other and helping each other succeed? Um and I'm not saying that any of those guys won't do that. I'm just curious, given how, like I mentioned, their their usage over the last five years they played, how those guys make that adjustment. And if that rubs some players the wrong way or not, like this isn't as clear cut as like ESPN's uh, odds rankings went where after the trade they bump the Clippers up to the best odds to make the West, uh, to be the Western conferences representative in the finals and to win the championship when Denver's steamrolling everybody and looking amazing. And they're a team uh, and they're, I don't see team on the Clippers right now. Like, I think it's possible that they, they, can get there, but I have to see it from those four guys. How do they, in their own ways, Russ is not the team, Corbin. <laughs> I feel like Russ, listen, I feel like Russ is like the human epitome of Spurs team basketball. Like, it will work out with him there. Like, I'm just saying, uh, whatever it takes to win. Somewhere Popovich threw up in his mouth a little. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm just curious to see how they mesh together because that's what a championship team needs. It's a team game. It's not just your chance, your, uh, your time, my time, his time, his time, your time, my time. Like that didn't even work for the heatles. It wasn't until they started to mesh a little bit better that they actually won the championship. So I, that's what I'm looking forward to. And I'm not saying that Russ and those guys aren't consummate professionals, but we have to see it in action before I feel comfortable putting them up there with the Nuggets, the Celtics, the Bucks, et cetera. Well, and that's where, like, I think the timing of this trade is big, that they're getting him in now. So they do have a almost a full regular season to incorporate him, to figure out what works, what doesn't. I think defensively it actually is a pretty good fit with those four guys because I think all of them are switchable defensive players and you basically have to switch with James Harden (laughs) and they've also they also get PJ Tucker in this deal who can be a small ball five and switch so they can sort of do uh maybe potentially a better version of what the 2020 Houston Rockets were trying to do with those small ball lineups with and instead of having you know surrounding Russ Harden and PJ Tucker with 
you know, Trevor Ariza. I, I forget exactly who else was on that Rockets team. Now you've got Kawhi and PG surrounding them. Uh, but I think, Josh, you made a great point mentioning the uh, the usage rates of those four stars the last few years and the fact that, like, Kawhi Leonard is the lowest of all those, despite the fact that he should probably still be the number one option on this team. So that's going to be and, – and, again, that's the, the give and take with Russell Westbrook on your roster, right, is he is a very much a – um, you know, and and I think James Harden also falls into this category, a floor raiser on offense. Like they are guys that are have been very durable for the most part, Westbrook and Harden. And they're also going to lift your offense at least to, you know, an average level when they're out on the court. But it's more like, you know, if you're wanting to be a top five, top 10 offense, it really requires them going heavy into Kawhi and Paul George, who are the more efficient offensive options on this team. Yeah. I, I think you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just defending Russell Westbrook's honor here. Um, but yeah, I just, I agree. I think that it's something that's going to be a balancing act for sure. And what the Clippers have it in them to do that is, no, that's not anyway. Whether the Clippers have, I gotta finish my thought. I'm sorry. Whether the Clippers have the wherewithal to kind of make those sacrifices together. Obviously, you know Russ brings to the table what he will do, right? We know Kawhi and PG. They 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 kind of built this together. It's up to James Harden in my mind to fit in with this team and not try to fit out. To quote a great Laker champion. Um, so that that's what I'm curious to see how that works out together. But I also think it's on Ty Lue like to deploy the right matchups there and to figure out, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what we need to do. And I think you're going to have a certain level of investment. I mean, everyone wants their money at the end of the day. And trust me, they're all playing for the money at the end of the day. So I think there has to be inherently an investment on that way, but also you're right. Like how are, who's going to sacrifice James Harden's been in a situation where he's been able to be mostly James Harden at every stop he's been in since he's been traded from Houston, you know, side adjustments in Brooklyn, but then he was a point guard. Kyrie made more of the adjustment playing off guard, right? Then he goes to Philadelphia and he's back to being James Harden. albeit with the big man who needs the ball more, you know? So that's the thing. But, like, I don't know. We've seen Russ in so many different ways. I think he can play off the bench. He can play in the bench. Like, he can play off the side. We saw him as a role man. We saw what he did where, you know, it, let me not, okay, drop in the Russ act a little bit. You do have to construct your roster a certain kind of way. Um, I think that the Clippers are still constructed in a way that will hide Russ's weaknesses and kind of help some of the strengths. They don't have to go full 2020 Houston Rockets to, like, accommodate him. Um, at the same time, like, it is going to be a balancing act because they all have different strengths and weaknesses but if they all get them all together it'd be nasty but yeah there are there are some you know I, I do agree in that starting lineup which uh you know to me if russ is is going to stay in the starting lineup it would be russ harden Kawhi, paul george and zubach and uh, that lineup, I think, is very good for Russ. You know, you've got shooters around him, three shooters around him, and then you've got a rolling center that can get on the offensive glass as well. Like, I think that's the perfect construction. But as soon as you, you know, take out, say, Kawhi and put in Terrence Mann, or you take out um, Paul George and put in P.J. Tucker, then all of a sudden it's it's not quite as nice. The spacing isn't quite there. And we are getting into a more of a 2020 Houston Rockets situation. Yeah. And that's true. And they had talent, but you're right. It does become immediately a, a much different team. And also credit to Moray 
for not only the ingenuity, which he, he can be very stubborn. You know, he can make trades based on what he wants. I mean, most GMs, I guess, are. But, like, talking about the way he's kind of salvaged this, at least on paper for the 76ers, reminds me of how we salvaged that 2020 season with the Rockets acquiring Russ and then trying to kind of make a team around that would have worked if not for some injuries and COVID during the time. Would they have made it past the Lakers? I don't want to say that, but like they probably would have given a bigger fight and they were successful during the regular season. And a lot of that happened from a creative midseason trade and a drastic overhaul in the way that the Rockets ran their offense. But Morey did that. So like as a GM, you got to give him credit for constructing teams in ways that will at least get you some results. And we have to hope that that's the same here. But going back to the Clippers. Yeah. I mean, the hope is that it doesn't have to go that way because I doubt um, the Clippers front office will be as um, ingenious as Morey was in adapting on the fly. The uh, the interesting thing for me too with the Clippers, and again they've they've struggled in recent seasons, obviously with injuries to to Kawhi and Paul George. I'm curious now with Harden in town, you know, can they win a playoff series if one of Kawhi or Paul George gets hurt and they need a week or two to recover? Do they now have enough talent? I think that's the one of the incentives, one of the reasons why teams try to stack stars, right? Is if you have one injury, which again, injuries happen quite often in sports and in basketball. So can you withstand that and survive and last long enough till some you know, some of your guys return. I think they are more well-suited to do that. And also I think James Harden does a lot for this team in terms of the regular season. Again, he's been very durable. He's been a very good regular season player. So I, I think the Clippers regular season stock has gone up significantly, which, you know, potentially gives them an easier opponent to start the playoffs. Completely agree. And I think that's that's the big upside, I think, for the Clippers. I know everyone kind of believes like, oh, they got four, you know, guys who either won the MVP or finished in the top three and voting for MVP. I'm pretty sure Paul George finished top three in that one OKC season. Um, 2019, and, he should have won it. Yeah, and, and the, he was good. He was really good. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that doesn't necessarily equate to team success. We've seen this time and time again. We're like, oh, another super team. Remind me what happened with the Steve Nash, Dwight Howard, Kobe Bryant, Ron Artest, Lakers. Which similar to this team. They win. They win. Aging squad. Yeah. Did did, did they win the championship, Corbin? Remind me. Listen, listen. Injuries were a thing. If I, I know we're talking about the Clippers, <laughs> Listen, that's true. Are definitely a thing. Well, this is what I mean. I, I will say this: that team would have won it all had Kobe not been injured. They might have had a chance if Kobe ceded control of the offense to Nash, but that was he, never going to happen. He didn't have to. Nash was fading at the time. It was it was Kobe's team. I, 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 I nobody's questioning from. that it was Kobe's team. But anyway, uh, like my, my point <laughs> like, is the my natural point, pecking order, Josh. You need to know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. My point I'm, I'm was kidding. like that team, everyone was like, oh my God, they're guaranteed to win. They did not. The uh, Brooklyn Nets trio of KD, Kyrie, and Harden, did they win? No. <laughs> and there were a lot of headaches along the way. Um, the I thought uh, you were going to say the Brooklyn Nets trio of Darren Williams, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, 
uh, and Joe Johnson. Don't forget Joe Johnson. Um, no, nope. but but no, uh, the even the Warriors when they had KD still lost one of those championships. And yes, it came down to injuries, but like we act like uh, same thing when when the Suns got. KD and then when they subsequently got Beal people were like oh they're a super team they're they're guaranteed to get out of the west they aren't <laughs> nothing in this game is guaranteed and yet we treat these star heavy teams as if it's like a given and uh, it's not and I still think you do this deal but like I don't think it's a given that the clippers are a legit full on Nuggets, Celtics, Bucks level contender now. We have to see if that health plays out and we have to see how those four mesh together. I think they're more than capable, if healthy, um, of meshing together and reaching that level. But I need to see it before I'm willing to like bet on it. Fair. Yeah, That's so fair. let me let me ask this question of you two, of you guys then. So let's say this Clippers team is healthy and they do make a good run come the postseason to a conference finals or an NBA finals or even, you know, a championship. What do you imagine is the blueprint? What do you see as this team like really having as its calling card for success? I think it's playing through rust. Um going through I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Um, joking aside, I think that it is Russ and Harden going into more complementary specialized roles. You know, Russ pushing the pace, rebounding, finishing in transition, you know, advantageous post-ups. Harden, you know, playing off the catch, you know, being that second side ball handler, being able to make shots at a high clip, keep the ball moving, and understand that while that does free Kawhi and PG to take up more of a defensive load, to kind of cover up for the other two's relative weaknesses on that end for different reasons. Um, they are the unquestionable, like superior shot makers at this stage of their career, which is hilarious because like four years ago, you know, it was really Russ and Harden who were the high ball dominant, high usage offensive players. And Paul George and Kawhi were coming into their own as those type of players going from the two way handle of the three and D to more of, okay, no, we can play through these guys. And now like it's the turn, it's the tables have turned. It, it's completely it's completely flipped. Like, yes, those two still can do that at times, like Kawhi and Paul George could at times back then. Although I feel like those were they were mostly stars back then. But like where they are now is clear that they have the pecking order. And I think that if Harden and Westbrook combine realize that, hey, we need to take steps back to fit this team and that this is Kawhi and PGC. I mean, not just say that, but actually like play in accordance with that and you get some good play from the bench. That's probably the blueprint. Yeah, the uh, the the timeline, Corbin. You got to go more like seven or eight years because four years ago, Kawhi was leading the Toronto Raptors to an NBA championship. <laughs> oh, sugar honey, I meant six or seven years ago. My bad. Twenty seventeen doesn't seem that long ago, but it is. Twenty seventeen was a glorious year. Um, that's the year I was thinking. Even then, I'm kind of stretching it because Kawhi was in MVP voting, and so mm. was um, Paul George was also a star with the Pacers. But I mean, like where they are now is so much more than they were then. And back then, you would definitely put Harden and PG. You definitely put Harden and, and, and Westbrook above them in terms of that. At least most people would back then. Whereas now, you'd be either myself or crazy to do that. And also, I wouldn't even do that for the record. 
And that's why Corbin's one of those nuanced Rust guys and not just a, a straight up Rust psycho. No, um, no. I, they're on Facebook. They're horrible. Get a grip, y'all. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, no, Corbin said it perfectly. I, I think it's up to Russ and Harden in particular to accept being extremely overqualified for lesser roles. Like, I, I think they need to accept at least when Kawhi and Paul George are available, like I'm shifting, I'm focusing on these areas. When Kawhi and Paul George aren't available, guess what? I can step up. I can, I can take the reins again and I can get my vibe going again. But when the full team's healthy, there needs to be sacrifice in terms of role and in terms of ego and, and, you know, shot attempts. And honestly, if all four of them buy in, they're all talented enough to make it ridiculously tough on the defense to stop. That said, good luck against Jokic when you just got Zubac and Mason Plumley. But yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the fascinating thing to me is like, you know, yeah, you just you just say the names, Westbrook, Harden, Leonard. George and you think oh yeah that's the best offense in the NBA but it's not necessarily that simple again not those guys all four of those guys aren't going to be healthy every game there are some some issues with obviously Russ has gotten is notorious for issues as an off-ball player um you know of course uh James Harden yeah has uh hasn't been as dedicated to being a spot-up player even when he was playing with Embiid Uh, I think he improved a little bit on that last year but uh, yeah, that's always been something he's kind of hesitated with. So like, yeah, is this team, if it's going to reach the heights it's want to re- it wants to reach, is it going to be the number one offense in the NBA or is it going to get it done on defense? You, you still forget that like with, with Zubach, with Leonard, with George, with Terrence Mann, with PJ Tucker, this team still has some, some defensive talent in there as well. And, you know, if things go well and if Ty Lue does a good job of figuring out what schemes, what styles that uh, that really suit them on that end of the floor? They, you know, would it shock me if they're a top ten level defense? I don't, I don't think so. What about you guys? I think that's in play. It's possible. I mean, yeah, it's possible. I, I definitely could see it when you think about. It. I, mean, I have to like off the top of my head, I can't think of like ten right off the top. But like, sure. I mean, I definitely am not like nah, Garrett. You're wrong. You know, what I mean, like that definitely is one that is in play. Um, it would be interesting to kind of give a little bit of a deep dive on that and kind of look at, okay, like how we rank the defenses, but they definitely have more than a compelling case, especially right now. I just went through the defensive rankings um, for Ramble Ramble doing some power rankings and it's all over the place right now. So you have a team that has at least some semblance of good defense or a good schematic um, on that side of the ball. And yeah, just kind of go from there, see what happens. And yeah, again, like the way Russ has played defense as a Clipper, I think is a positive sign for for their play on that end as well. Um, was there was there any other thoughts you guys had about this trade? I mean, from any angle uh, before we before we wrap this up. Um, just for me, I oh sorry, no, go ahead. Gordon. Uh, I was going to say I'm just curious to see if this is it for Philadelphia. Is this what they're going to ride out with through the rest of the year? Um, are they going to reevaluate, make some rumblings, come to trade deadline with some picks that they now have, some of the pick swaps, and of course, you know, some of the players they have money wise for expiring contracts? Like that's what I'm more concerned about. The Clippers going to be intriguing. I'm going to be watching them for sure. Ballet, ballet, the in season tournament, which is also much more interesting now. Um, yes, but like for Philadelphia, I definitely want to see like, okay, this is a nice immediate move. 
Is this a holding pattern? Are we putting this like a warming tray? Is are we about to let just let them cook? Like, what's the deal here? Yeah, I, I think Maury is probably watching Toronto and Chicago uh and seeing how they're looking at the start of next year. He he's probably keeping an eye on uh OG and Pascal because both of those guys can be acquired at the trade deadline, can help this playoff and still maintain uh salary cap uh in the offseason and still re-sign them using bird rights. Um and then like Levine that that's something that would eat into the whole cap space strategy. But Levine, again, I hate using this term when healthy would actually be a really excellent fit with Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid. Um, he would fit in very well with them. Um, so I think he's probably going to be able to play it out. Wait until the trade deadline, see how desperate, uh, you know, Toronto and Chicago and perhaps some others might be to like finally break things apart because right now Toronto's offense is looking woeful because they have no shooting. Uh, and Chicago had a players only meeting after the first game. So things aren't off to a good start, but neither of those front offices have really shown any inclination to blow it up yet. But if they do, Philly now has the ability to put in a good offer. Maybe not the best offer, but put in a good offer. Yeah. A competitive and, offer. I like. Yeah. The, uh, the interesting thing with Maury though, again, he, with, with his track record in terms of trades, he, he hasn't really done too many of the like, Oh, let's trade. And and this was mentioned by Bobby Marks on the low post when they were talking about this deal. He hasn't done a lot of just like the kind of the smaller get or trade for a role player type of moves. He's mostly like when it comes to his trades, he's focused on getting the big guns. Uh, so that's where, yeah, I like the idea of potentially something like Siakam. I could see him trying to, to attempt something there. Uh, but, uh, and yeah, they have enough cap space now, like getting off of Tucker's salary for next season that they could theoretically bring in a 10 to $15 million contract and still have enough for a max cap space in the off season. Um, so there is some room there for him to do something, to add something this season. And, you know, when you have Joel Embiid in his prime, who knows how many more healthy seasons he's going to have. I also think Daryl Morey values and appreciates the fact that like we got, I got to do what I can to compete with this guy in the, you know, in the immediate. Yeah. I mean, if, unless you want to hear Embiid to New York rumors swirling, which they already kind of had the rumblings beginning, like the trade machine. I love it. And I also hate it because no sooner do you actually get the trade that everyone's finally been waiting on that. We also kind of talked ourselves into um, does another player. Oh, so what about this person next? What about this person next? And mind you, I don't think that the 76ers have done an amazing job building around and beat historically. I just don't. I think the 2018, 2019 was peak with them. And then they let Jim Butler go for reasons that they know. Um, but aside from that, like, no, I think you're right. Like want to kind of relieve that. Like, okay, we have a solid team. We have a guy who wants to buy in. He's in the middle of his prime, about to be 30, and this is where we're going to go with it. That is the that is the plan. That is the hope, you know? Because if not, yeah, sure enough, might as well have him gone by the trade deadline. It doesn't take much. You know how it is now in the NBA. 
All right. Well, I think we covered this from just about every angle you could. And uh, it's been a really fun, fun chat with you guys. I'll let you uh, tell the tell the people at home uh, what what you got going on. We'll start with Corbin. Listen, as always, I appreciate being on the show. I love the fact that all three of us are able to get on together, talk about some Russell Westbrook. And I mean, it's uh, what this is what life is about, really, as a basketball fan. Um, but to follow me on Twitter, X, whatever, um, at Corbin NBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. Um, also on Instagram, same thing. Um, I do the Ramble Ramble podcast uh, with my fellow brothers here. Uh, we have a roster reconstruction show that we'll be doing more regularly. Um, and then I do some work with basketball intelligence. Um, and also, um, I will have a newsletter. That's the thing I forgot to mention that will be coming out weekly. Um, that's just my own independent thing about what I'm seeing in the week and things I'm looking forward to and just some fun rambling. So definitely make sure to check that out as well. Um, that'll be kicking off, I think next week. Yeah. Just like a weekly thing. So it'll very be kind excited. of fun. Very excited for that. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. And as always fun talking ball with y'all, like y'all my friends and we also love hoops and it's great. Corbin remains too modest, way more modest than his hero, because Corbin also does stuff at Swish Theory as well, uh, which he failed to mention because he has so much stuff going on. Um, But I I will mention it uh, and also check out uh, what Swish Theory is doing. A lot of fantastic uh, basketball minds over there who are putting in a lot of good work. Uh, particularly on the draft, but on some philosophy stuff as well. Um, And check out everything that Garrett's doing. Um, Another fantastic basketball mind and a fantastic person that not only deserves your support, but will earn it. Um, And meanwhile, I'm changing diapers (laughs) and uh, reading books. (laughs) When I get get some time, I, I I, I read some books. Uh, and I have ba- some basketball things percolating, but uh, I have a soon-to-be one-year-old that I take care of during the day, so I don't really have a whole lot of time or brain. Um, yeah. But I can be found on uh, Twitter, never calling it the other thing, um, <laughs> at 2 red J Earl. Um, I don't tweet a lot. Uh but I, I'd like to tweet, retweet good stuff and, and add fun comments. Uh, you can find Corbin's fandom rating, uh, a new metric that came out recently uh, on my, my Twitter. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, no, but follow these guys, follow the people at Swish Theory. Um, keep sp- supporting good basketball analysis wherever you find it. Well, and uh, Josh deserves a hype man as well. Not only is he a great basketball mind, great human being, but also one of the best dads in the world as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, doing it day in, day out and, uh, you know, doing it on little sleep as well. But uh, yeah. oh, I got to say, he rocks the baby better than Russell Westbrook does. I will definitely put that out there. And I never say that. All right, guys. Well, yeah, again, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a blast. Always, friend.